0: He's been here a number of times. He's a supervisor to me uh, and, and a mentor, not only to me, but in many ways to the church through the different things that he's planted. And this morning, he's coming to speak about influence. Uh, you know how close this, this topic is to my heart. We did a whole big series on influence last year in prominence. And, and, and this morning, Rex is going to talk about influence in a way that is just going to build beautifully and challenge you and inspire you and equip you. Uh, he's the director of Caleb Leadership Ministries. As I say, he's my supervisor, so you know he's got some qualifications to be able to do that. And- <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, would you please make some top of the South welcoming for you. <laughs> good to be back here again. I can understand why um, Sam does the cheese thing because he's a Christian. He's making gentle cheeses meek and mild. There's <laughs> so, nothing meek or mild about that cheese thing. Not blue. <laughs> blue cheese is just yoghurt left out. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that stuff is. And the Lord can help us as we go through. It's good to be back uh, among you and Yvonne and my daughter Hannah, it's I think your first time here at this church, but we're certainly loving it and loving your warmth to us as a family and your understanding of who we are as a family. Uh, If you want to be around us a little while, you do need a straitjacket and Valium, but other than than that, you should be okay. And the Lord will bless our time continuing as we go on this morning. When I was about 10 or 11, my grandmother, whom I loved dearly, she decided she was going to teach me how to make bread. So we're standing in her kitchen, which is the house just beside ours, and she'd put a bowl, and she put some flour in this bowl, and she was telling me what we have to do with the flour in the bowl, and then she put a little bit of salt in the bowl, and she stirred that out a little bit, and she said, pour the milk in, Rick, so I was pouring milk in, and she's stirring this, and she ended up with all this in the bowl, and she made it out, and then she lifted it out, and she poof, on the bench, which was covered in flour, I noticed. If I'd done that, put flour over the bench, I probably would have gotten in trouble for a mess, but she didn't. She put the thing down on there and then she says to me, Rex, knead the dough. And I know, Grandma, I do need the dough. And she said, No, son, knead the dough. And I go, Grandma, I will knead the dough. And I go like this. And she says, No, you need the dough, boy. And I go, Why is she speaking like that? She's not black African. <laughs> I said, knead the dough. So knead the dough is what I ended up having to do. And then she turns to me and she says, looking around the kitchen, I have a secret ingredient to put in this. And I'm looking around too, going, there's only us, Grandma. Why are we looking around? The CIA can't see us in those days, no satellite. (laughs) And then she gets this bowl and she undoes it and she takes a teaspoon and she pulls out a teaspoon of this yeast and she says, the secret ingredient put it in there, and we're looking around, no one, no one saw us, (laughs) and I thought, that's what's the fun of making bread, is you stick in the secret ingredient, and no one spots it, and then we stirred it up, and we chucked it in the hot water cupboard, you don't have those anymore, I used to live in there in winter, and (laughs) anyway... In the morning, you take it out and it's changed. It's this big lump that goes in the oven to make your bread. I loved that with my grandma, and the smell was awesome. But it showed me that a small amount of yeast put into the dough changed it forever. And we're going to talk about that in Matthew's gospel. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus told lots of parables. This is one of his shortest, and with the length of the service, I'm glad I've chosen a short piece of scripture, because I hope the morning tea isn't roast lamb, because it's going to be well done by the time we're finished. So the slide, please. Oh, it's just not up there. Okay. He said this, he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened." We call leaven yeast. And as I just said, when you put it into contact with dough, you keep it warm, there's a chemical reaction that goes off when the two are together. And soon that yeast has spread its effect all the way through the lump of dough. And as it ferments, it has a dynamic influence on the rest of that composition of the dough And that sludgy dough is changed forever into beautiful, beautiful bread. And Jesus, in using this parable, he is is using leaven in the parable to direct us to understand our responsibility in the kingdom. And helping God build the kingdom through our opportunities to be influential. And we get lots of them given to us. Because around us sits the dough of our communities, the dough of of our families, the dough of where we're working with schools or whoever, when we're taking our children to school. The the dough is just there for us to influence it, to get in there. And Jesus wants us to be lumps of leaven, lumps of heaven's leaven that changes the texture of your community forever. Because if we don't, the media sure are. And they're dictating, along with very liberal people, they're dictating what we should believe and behave and speak about. And so Jesus wants us to be his leaven to go in there and change the nature and, and f- quietly move our way through the community and change it Forever. And sometimes, uh, I come from South Auckland, uh, so, f- so, you know, we are in a big community. And sometimes the thought of that is just overwhelming. How do you, how do you get into that and how do you change that? Uh, but the complexity gets you to, but God, I believe God has placed each one of you on purpose. And as we prayed for Sam and his whanau, the prayers that were coming is, this is a right thing. This is a fix. Fit for his gifts, and, and, and it's, a, it's a time thing for him. And too, God says, I need you here. And the military cooperated with God and they've sent him there. I hope with a pay increase. <laughs> Probably a f- free trip and a parachute drop at the end, but just, just push the others out first, Sam, and then make sure you've still got one on, eh? But, you know, we so often hear, don't we, that the church is irrelevant. But I'm convinced that as people are struggling, people have hopelessness today. People are overwhelmed by what's happening. They have no moral compass. They have nothing that gives them truth to hold on to. And so I'm convinced that we are the ones, the followers of Jesus, who get alongside them and significantly draw them toward him and then to the church. So we often uh, have to think about that. So our, our influence doesn't just happen, but it comes out of two key relationships, I think, in the first slide, is that our relationship is with God. Our relationship is with God. Our salvation is not a security spot in heaven, but it's our life lived under the lordship of Christ. And his lordship is seen in our our work, our, how we outwork our life, and how our influence with him, our relationship with him is built on our daily prayer with him, talking with him, not just in the morning when you're getting up and you have your quiet time, but during the day, are you talking with the Father? In our family, we have Friday night, which is family night, except our daughter escaped to Ashburton. And we're going down to see her in, in April and get, the, get her payment for not being in the family from her. And we're missionaries. You've got to find out any way you can. Anyway, on the Friday, I look forward. I love it when my two boys and their, their wives and, and our two grandchildren from one of them come to be with us. And they sit around and they yak to each other. And then they pray. the two boys go out and pray disc golf and I go out with them and pick up the golf. And hand it back to them. But listening to them talk to one another, I love it. And every so often they'll talk to me and say, that was a good, good shot. Dad, just do the five meters, pick it up get and have another go. And, you know, but it's lovely. And then we sit around food together and we chat about stuff. And then one of them will start a discussion on something and away we go. It's a lovely time. And when you're building that relationship with Jesus, that's what you've got to look at it. That's how you look at it when you're sitting there and having a quiet time. But during the day, talk to him. Talk to him and tell him what's going on for you. And say, hey, oh, that was a really neat encounter I just had then, Jesus. What's the next one? And so we build our relationship with him. You know, James, in his, book, in his letter, he said in chapter 2, he said that faith without works is useless. So Jesus expects us to do his, do his thing. And he's given you different gifts and abilities to go wherever he wants you to, to do, use that gift and ability to serve him in his kingdom. The second relationship is our relationship with people in our circle of influence. While Levin remains on the bench beside the doe, do you know what happens? Nothing. But once you put it in there with it, it starts to make a big difference. And it adds if in our lives, if we're adding the heat of the Holy Spirit, then the reaction happens, and it changes us and it changes the people that we are working with. It works on them. And we need to understand the importance of developing relationships where the reality of our faith could be seen. And we had 10, 11 of, of uh, your, your brothers and sisters here who spent Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday with Yvonne, Hannah and I working on how we can build relationships with much more confidence and with much more focus and purpose. Before COVID struck, we used to run a bed and breakfast, Yvonne and I, and one uh, day we had a van load of Australians. Any Australians here? Oh, good. I see that hand. I've got to be careful now. Listen, I'm just, this is, this is serious. This better not be recorded. I am quarter Australian, so just, okay. <laughs> you, can, you can tell the way I drive. Um, anyway, they came, and there was three couples. And the three men were Australian males. And one of them, uh, they were sitting around the table, and we were t- talking together, having, they were having a meal, and we were sitting there chatting with them. And they found out what I do for a living, and that normally kills the conversation, but they were all Catholic, except one who stated categorically, he was about, like, your height, Sam, and he, he stated categorically, I'm an atheist. And I go, oh, that's your faith, but I didn't say that at the time. Um, but one of them, the lady, one of the mother, wives, she was, I think, she was a born-again Catholic. She's passionate. However, she took the boys out partway through <laughs> Uh, their dinner. I thought, oh, where are they going? But the boys followed her out, so I knew who, who was the leader of the team. It was her. And then they came back in, and they apologised. I go, what for? Oh, the language we've been using. And She just told them he's a pastor. What's your language? And um, I said, you don't have to. Um, anyway, we just put Hannah to bed, and, and Eva and I were just cleaning up in the, in the kitchen, or I was watching Yvonne do it. And then... Um, we heard weeping coming from down the hall. So we whipped out thinking Hannah might have been in trouble and the women are standing outside Hannah's room. We raced down there thinking what's wrong with Hannah and saw that they were the ones crying and they just had news that one of them's 32-year-old nephew just dropped dead in Australia. And we go, wow, Mm, that's horrible. And so we invited them to all go back into the lounge and spend as much time as they wanted to And we're available if they want. So Yvonne and I went and sat in another room and I was praying for them and Yvonne was looking out uh, scriptures and so on that we could share with them and we said to the lead lady uh, if it's appropriate would you like us to pray with you? She said in the morning I'll talk to them. So in the morning she came to me and said yes they would like us to. So after breakfast we sat around and Yvonne shared scripture with them and I shared some of the scripture with them about death and about heaven and about all sorts of stuff and then we prayed for them. All of them were sobbing by the time we had finished and after we had finished they all got up. One of them said this is the only bed and breakfast in our whole two weeks in New Zealand that we, are go- we will be in otherwise we're in motels on our own. We think this is a God thing, right? Right? Then they all got up, they gave us hugs and went out. And then this tall atheist, he got up and he walked over to me. He put his arms around him and gave me a hug. I'm not very comfortable with that, but anyway. He gave me a hug and he said, This has been very significant for me. You see, when you start to build a relationship, you get under the radar. You get into the heart of this and you touch the lives of these people. God will deal with him further on. Somebody else will get another crack at him. But he's starting to open up. He's starting to understand there might be something there. In this tiny parable, the word hid is really important. You see, the kingdom's uh, one writer says, wasn't inaugurated with display or with pomp, but it came silently, building relationships of influence. It was, in a special way, hidden. And yes, the influence spread like a virus, one relationship to another as it went through. And it was like a quiet... You know when you chuck a stone into a a still pond and you watch the ripples go out? That's what the influence was like when the disciples started to move out and as the church started to move out. And nowadays, there's lots of stuff going off in this world. But do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is? Iran. Iran. China's a second, but Iran is just passing them. It's all underground because they get killed. When it's found out, some of them are getting killed for their faith. And so they're meeting in tiny, small groups, and they walk to those small groups, and they just come from all over the place, and quietly come, do their time together with Jesus, and they quietly go. And it's a lot of young people in Iran coming to Christ. Isn't that awesome? Bring on the persecution. See, the hiddenness in, in a book Rick Rousseau wrote is called Externally Focused Church. He said the early church grew as they served with compassion and kindness. And today with all the dysfunction that's going on, all the vaccine, non-vaccine hatred and stuff that still sits in the background and all of that, we have to act with compassion and kindness to people and listen empathetically to what they are going through. Because the early church didn't rely on direct mail or large special events, but they still got their message across. See, I believe that people begin uh, uh, sorry, I believe that we begin to be people of influence by building relational bridges, which is what we've been talking about the last couple of days, in our community, which go on to influence them for the kingdom. And relationships are essential for us to build trust within our communities. They are the door which most individuals come into, a relationship with Christ. So the preaching and so on doesn't gain people into the kingdom very well, but relationship brings the person to hear that message. Then they come to Christ. Mark Middleburg, he wrote that, We are people of faith, and faith he defines as God-inspired risk-taking. We must become courageous Christians before we become contagious Christians. We've got to have some courage uh, before we can step out. We have to have that courage, and then we become contagious. There's a Baptist evangelist. He's now living in Fiji from whence he cometh and he's gone backeth. King James, and he shooting the right, and we went, he went with us uh, to, a, to a conference in Singapore, and we, we get off the plane, we're really tired, and we're going through Singapore airport, which is really lovely, you could spend a lot of time there, and we came up to immigration, and we're standing in line, and the line goes for Africa, and in front of me there's a guy wearing an orange tablecloth, and uh, he's bald and stuff, and he's a monk, And Shu leans forward and whispers to me, are you going to tell him about Jesus? And I look around and said, what the heck are you talking about? He's a monk. I'm not going (coughs) to... So Shu Shu says, get out of my road. (laughs) You're welcome. And so he comes through and he taps the monk on the shoulder and the monk turns around and Shu is, uh, is Fijian. And he says to this guy, have you just been on a pilgrimage? And the guy's looking at him going, whoa, where's the rice? Um, and then the guy says, yes. And then Shu goes, did you get peace in your heart? And this guy's looking at him. And the guy goes, peace in my heart? He said, yeah, do you have peace in your heart? Because I've got peace in my heart. Can I tell you how i got peace in my heart? So he's off. Like a, and we got, this guy couldn't get through the immigration fast enough. We all jump in the taxi to go to wherever it was we were staying under a bridge somewhere in cardboard boxes. But we got in this taxi and as we are roaring along, Shu leans forward to the taxi driver and goes, do you have peace in your heart? <laughs> the taxi driver looks round. And doesn't really know how to answer. Tries speaking in a different language, which he probably could, to to push him off. But no, Shu's not pushed off. He goes, do you have peace in your heart? Because I have. And then he starts telling him about Jesus. And we start accelerating down this motorway faster and faster and faster. And I whisper in Shu's ear, why don't you shut up or you'll have us all killed? (laughs) And we roar off. And I thought about it and I thought, oh man, this is crazy. And we're in a cafe sitting together and I looked up and there was a, an American guy sitting on a stool and a hide thing at the cafe, right? And I thought, oh, I've got to do this stuff. So I sauntered over. How, how can I saunter? I look like a scarecrow. So I sauntered over, <laughs> perched myself up on, on a, one of these seats and sat there and I looked around and shoes grinning at me. And I said to the American, oh, are you here on holiday? Which is a closed question. And he said, no, he'd come for a conference and blah, blah, blah. Asked him how it was going. And then I went... <clears throat> and it's funny how your mouth just dries up. And he <laughs> <it> says, pardon me. <laughs> and then I finally got out. Do you have peace in your heart? And he turns around and goes, what? I look back at you going, what do you do with a what? <laughs> So I repeated, do you have peace in your heart? He said, I don't understand. I said, I have peace in my heart. Can I tell you about it? And you know what he said? Yes. And I go, (laughs) so I told him about Jesus. And then I asked him, have you ever been to church? He says, when I was a kid. And I said, well, why did you stop? And he told me why he stopped. And so we talked about, well, you missed out on Jesus, didn't you? You need to find him again, because if you keep missing out on Jesus, you're wasting your life, buddy. You can have, and we went into this huge discussion. I turned around, looked up in shoes going. <laughs> we have to become courageous. We have to break out of our timidity and get a little courageous and watch what God does with that. You know, the reality is... We must enter the world of those who seek to know rather than waiting for them to enter ours. We need to go into their world rather than waiting for them to come to ours. And Jesus showed us the way in John one fourteen, He says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we have to get out of our cloistered way out of our holy hubble, huddle and we have to get rubbing shoulders with those who are not saved and it may be uncomfortable <clears throat> at a motel last night I was about to ask a guy if he would sleep in the bedroom at the far end of his unit rather than near the one that Hannah's in because he will never get some sleep because she will yell all night at him and I had a captive audience because I accidentally parked my, to- my car tire over his foot so he wasn't going anywhere <laughs> So we had a chat, but my word, there was this deep frustration and anger at the government and what's happening around our country and what's going on and so on and so on, and he was just, it just came pouring out. It was really uncomfortable. But I listened and talked into that with him. We unfortunately didn't get on to... Uh, anything about Jesus because he asked me to shift my car. But um, <laughs> the the opportunity was there and waiting to see, is God opening this up? But at that time, no, he didn't. He just allowed me to be present to let this guy download a whole pile of frustration that he was feeling. If he'd stayed another night, maybe we could have had another chat that could have gone a little bit further about do you have peace in your heart? You obviously don't. Let me tell you how I have, even in this context of this rough world. So away you can go and you can start that sort of chat. Eric Swanson wrote this. He said, To be a people of influence requires perseverance and determination over the long haul. One of my favourite Old Testament characters uh, who became a man of influence is Joseph And you can read in Genesis 39 following, you can read about him and his life. He was sold to the Midianites, then the prices bumped up, and he was sold to Potiphar, who was uh, captain of the guard for Pharaoh. But he gained respect, and he had four essential qualities, I think, that he did it in he had character, competence, compassion, and companionship or relationship. And he used those. And uh, wherever he was, and in Potiphar 's household, he was using that, and he became very uh, influential in Potiphar 's household, so much so that the devil got the wife to try and seduce uh, joseph and joseph said no i don 't want to borrow that." So she made stories up, and he ended up in prison, and it was an unlikely place, but he soon became the two I see to the boss of the prison, and he 's a prisoner. Just using those four things. He just used his compassion. He used that depth of character. He used the competence he had. And he used that companionship, the relationship building with the boss, to get to that place of trust. And on he went. Placed in that unlikely place. I think I would have been a bit angry about being chucked in prison for something I hadn't done. But he wasn't. He knew that God had placed him there in preparation for a wider influence. And as you read on, he gets a chance to interpret a dream for the king. And finally, in all of that, he becomes 2 see of the kingdom. That's influence, isn't it? And the king says this in Genesis 41. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. That's huge influence. A Jew in Egypt. And there he is. So how did Joseph become a man of influence? We're going to rip through these fairly quickly, because you, you, otherwise you'll all be asleep. Joseph was following in the will of God, even from an early age. He had dreams, and he interpreted dreams. He started getting dreams. He probably started wondering, where are these from? Then he started understanding what they meant, and he started saying them, and remember, his brothers got really jealous of him. All those kind of things happened. But he started at an early age. You were talking about the children, right? And and so were you. You were, gave us that really neat word about the children. Children, It starts now. The devil attacks them now, but Jesus wants them now too. And he, he, he wants them to start learning how to handle the variety of gifts he's going to give them. And your son up here playing the guitar, it's great, isn't it? He's learning, he's learning to worship and use his gift to help us worship. So that was what he did. The second thing is he built relationships with those in his circle of influence. For example, Potiphar, and then the jailer, and so on. Wherever he was, he's looking for who is the man of peace, who is the woman of peace, who can he get alongside that he actually connects well with, right? And then he can build that influence and certain levels of gifting or whatever, we can touch different people in different ways. I can, I can get alongside certain people in a way that some of you couldn't, but you could get on with some people that I can't. right? And so that's why I say God's put you where he wants you. You just look and see where that circle is. The third thing, and this I think is one of the biggest ones for him, is he applied the same love of God and moral character to everything he did. So it wasn't just every so often he acted in this particular kind of way. It just was who he was. And a non-Christian can understand when you're putting your Christianity on and he can understand when you take it off. And we have to learn to wear that all the time. The other thing is he understood his role as servant of God and he, in his daily work And he understood lordship in that context. When you go to work, when when you're doing whatever it is you normally do during the day, that's where you're going to find ministry. That's where some of your ministry opportunity can come every day. Your daily work, servant of God. And the servant of God is there to be leaven in the community. The servant of God is there to be light in the community. And so every day, even if it's a hard time in your workplace, understand that God has got you there. He is Lord of your life. And you're there to serve him, let alone the company you work for. And then you're asking him, how do I deal with this person? They just, I just want to throw them out the window of the third floor. Fortunately, we're only a one-story building. <laughs> so it's saying, God, how do I... And he'll change you. And then you can change the situation. The th- fifth thing there is that, irrespective of his situation, which is carrying on from what I just said, he did what was right and best for others. He did what was right and best for others. He wasn't selfish. He wasn't out to twist the arm of the kit, the, the head of the jail to get himself—I don't know—privileged position or to get out. He was there to try and get the best for the other prisoners. So we have to think about that because we live in a very selfish age, do we not? The sixth thing was he saw each situation as an opportunity to become a man of influence, a woman of influence that you can if you're a woman. So he he was looking for the divine encounter, I call it, the divine opportunity, what is, what is happening around me? Is there a divine opportunity happening right now, or is it not? And he's watching for that. He's watching for the moment when the door starts to crank open a bit that he can speak into it and influence a little bit more and a little bit more. You see, we've been led, I think, to believe that we get one shot at this. So we have to dump the whole lot the Bible, everything. Now, if you're an evangelist and have the gift of evangelism, then people fall over whether you speak or you don't and come to Christ. But the majority of us are not evangelists. We were coming down in our private turboprop today, yes, the other day. It's leased by Air New Zealand from us, and um, it had engine trouble. And I'd been, Yvonne and Hannah were sitting one side, and I was sitting here, and I was talking to this old guy from Nelson. Old guy. And um, he found out I was a, a, a pastor and we were talking and stuff and I started to edge into the, are you, you know follower of Jesus? He Obviously he wasn't and stuff. And then the engine stops and we'd have been having this lovely chat and then he was panicking. And they go, what are you panicking for? There's another one going okay on the other side. <laughs> you know, it's not like we're going to be up here all night, is it? I mean, if another one stops, we could be here all day. But anyway, he finally his sweats pouring off him and I thought, you, you're, a, you're a frightened flyer. And I said, it's okay. And he says, look, you're, you're, you're a minister, aren't you? I said, yes, well, do something religious. <laughs> so I did. I got up and took a collection. Um, <laughs> and so the seventh, seventh thing that, that Joseph did, he allowed his influence to grow beyond his close circle of influence and out to the nations. Right? He accepted the responsibility that went with that. Most of us won't have an opportunity that influences further out in the world. But we do not know who we're influencing that will have. As a pastor back in Marariwa, a Baptist in those days, I would never have believed that God would use me to be an influence in other parts of the world. But he has. And the ones that I'm influencing in different parts of the world are going into scary, scary missionary contexts and winning people to Jesus. And so it's been a privilege to just be be part of their life, to help them be leaders, help them understand leadership. So you you just have to be ready for it for how he expands your influence, as you touch lives and you get more relaxed about it and you see that it's spreading, you might end up on a board of trustees at the school or something else. You accept that responsibility that God's given you and get on with it. And he'll grow you in it. As At each move in the situations, influence changed and grew. So let me ask you this question. So who is in your sphere of influence? The diagram that's just come up, I did that little picture myself. (laughs) Hey, I should have had a career in creative arts. What what were the challenges of that? Well, to make those circles stay put was one of the big ones. But where the crossover is, there's work, there's family, school, where else might we have a, a circle of influence other than those ones that are up there? Where else? I haven't got them all, I don't think. Church, Church, yeah. Where else? Your neighbourhoods. Over that six-foot fence. Careful at the time you look over the fence. Might get a stick in the eye. Service group, community service groups. And leadership positions within your community the love your neighbour stuff, Uh, Alpha. If you're involved in those, you're going to have, there's lots of places, and just think for a moment, in those different places, in your work, your family, your recreation, your school, who has just jumped into your mind? Who is now a thought? So and so, I see them quite often. Oh, I've talked to them a couple of times. Huh? And so where is that that, that influence for you, as I said to the the team over the last couple of days, we were running late coming uh, from Nelson to get here, so I decided I'd start building relationships with police officers. I got to speak with three. And each one gave me their name and address, and, and I think it was a gift. Although it said I had to pay the gift, I don't understand that, but we'll, we'll talk to them <laughs> next time I meet them on our way back out of here. But think of that person, those people's names. You can be an influence in their walk to Jesus. They may have had a walk to Jesus at some point and didn't fully understand it and given it a miss. They may, like my younger son, got badly, badly hurt in the church context, and so they stopped going. They just need to be encouraged to come back to full faith in Jesus and, and think about churches at later points. So when you become a person of influence through building relationship bridges the opportunity to share God's grace will happen people will be intrigued by serving and will probe and ask questions of you and invite you to share your individual stories of what Jesus has done for you and as a church I know you've got the you're looking out but all of you need to look out you need to step out at Manoriwa, we took all my we had Ministry leaders, deacons in those days, until I shot them all, and then elders, and we went to a a retreat to to discuss the vision that we had and how each of them, what part they were playing in that vision, right? And we're at a a camping ground that's not far from where we live now, and. One of my associate pastors for the seniors, she was sitting there, and I noticed she was quite distracted, kept looking out the window. After a little while, there were several other people looking out a window. I couldn't see out of it because of a couple of blinds in the road. And so I stopped and said, what's going on? She said, pointed over, and she said, there's a cow stuck in a paddock over there with a blue bucket over its head. Oh, gravy. This is in the middle of the afternoon. It's getting really hot, and I promised we'd have been out of there at a certain time. Anyway... I went to, to, to carry on and ignore it, and I thought, I can't. But if I stop and deal with it, then all these grumpy older fellas are going to be very grumpy. What to do? Please, Jesus, guide me. So I said to her, You go and deal with it, and that's great. And so she smiled, and up she went, and she took off out. And I went to start again, but now everybody was interested to see what she was going to do. <laughs> so we're all looking out this window, and she crosses over one fence, walks across the paddock, comes to a, a, an electric fence, she crawls under the le- electric fence, and she's, she's an antique, she's not young. And she, then she had to climb over to another fence, and there's the cow standing there in that stinking hot summer's day with this big blue feeding bucket stuck over its head. And so she walked up, and she, we could see that she was speaking. I didn't know she could speak in moo, but she, she must have because the cow just sort of moved towards her. Otherwise, it would have been wrong for them. But um, she touched it, and it, I mean, it's a huge cow. It could have swung around and smacked this little lady against the fence, and we would have had a prayer meeting for healing. But um, as it was, she grabs hold of the bucket, And the cow starts shifting his head around. And she's airborne. Mm, She could have gone with you. Mm, No parachute. Anyway, finally she gets her feet on the ground and hauls. And the bucket came off the cow's head. And she fell backwards. And the cow looked at her, made a comment. She made a comment back. And then the cow moved off, as they do, you know. She came back over the fence and came inside. And we looked at her and said, oh, man... What are we going to do now? And one of my deacons goes, I know. I said, oh, good, somebody's going to go and sort this out with the farmer. He walks across the room to the window. He takes hold of the the blind and he shuts it so we can no longer see out the window. (laughs) In the van going home, I suddenly hit the brakes and everyone in the van fell on the floor. And I said, you know, we just missed something important. God has given our church a parable. And we called it the parable of the blue bucket. Mm. Our pastor, she did not drag the cow back across the paddocks into our meeting so that we could deliver it from the spirit of darkness. (laughs) She, she She took a risk. She went out into the cow's environment. She touched the cow. She ministered to the cow by freeing it from the dark place it was in and bringing it to some light. And then she left the cow to make its own decision. The cow did not follow her back to come and move in with us. And we realized that God is saying, Yes, I want you out there. I want you to pray together and then get out there, climb the fences, go under the barbed wire, go up to the uncomfortable, and find where the darkness is for them and bring them into the light. And we know the light is Christ. If you need today to say, God, I just want a bit more courage, then when we've finished, and I don't know when that is because I'm nearly finished, but who knows after that, then come and we can pray for you and ask God to give you that, that courage to allow you to start climbing the fences with no other expectation that it's going to be great fun, a huge challenge, and will ignite your faith like nothing else. Let me pray for you. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we really thank you that you have put us in a place, a place to be influential, a place to share the love of God, a place for us to be compassionate, empathetic, to be courageous, to share the peace we have in our heart because of what you did on the cross and what you did in the resurrection. I pray that you give us your peace deep in our heart that we can be influential in this town and see many people come to Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rex. One of the things that I love about when you preach is that we get left with this sense that I could do that.